0: okay so this week we're going to be looking at faith and kind of what we expect of God what faith is and how it's present in our lives today yeah so obviously over the course of this week I asked you to either bring a story with you or send me something a time when you felt close or distant with God and I just want to take a couple of minutes now just to talk about that and just kind of go through that and unpack that and just kind of yeah work out what's been going on really anyone keen to start off sharing that
1: i think that i'm i feel more close to god when i'm surrounded by other christians because i think it's like they're there to yeah. because you have the same like, viewpoints and just to help you and pray with you and be there for you and then if i'm with a group of non-christians it's difficult because just you feel distant because it's like you can't you don't feel like you can kind of go to them because it's just they don't believe in the same thing as you So yeah, just to start off with that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's really cool. Thank you for sharing that, Kayla. Yeah, I guess there's like kind of that idea of fellowship and how, you know, when you're spending time with other Christians, it feels, yeah, it feels like you're kind of close to them and you're close to God. Anyone else? Any other thoughts?
1: So like an example of that is spring harvest because everyone's your age and yeah. I felt quite distinct um, when I was going into secondary school because the youth group or like the kids group was kind of like year three to year six. And I felt like I needed something more. And so going into secondary school with also not a lot of people being Christians in my school, I just felt a bit like not really into it. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I'm just going to take that a little bit further. How would you say God was with you through that? Did you notice like a change? Did time fixed it, time made it better? Or was there kind of like a moment where it all kind of settled? What was kind of your experience with that?
1: My church did like these youth big weekend away. So all of the youth go away all together. And on that, I felt like the talks really made me think and made me go like, actually, this is something that I want to take seriously. And then I started reading the Bible more and started praying more. And yeah, my faith just built from there. And then I got baptized last year or the year before. I can't remember. Might have been two years ago.
0: (laughs) Wow, that's that's really great to hear. Anyone else? Um, I don't know if it's a
2: time, but I feel since I've joined One Body Youth, I feel I've been closest to God. As in, since we've been doing these Bible studies, I've just been reading the Bible a lot more and like and getting to know it. Like I've read like the Book of Luke like so many times. I just, I don't know. Just yeah, altogether, I've just felt I've been closest to God just joining One Body Youth. But yeah.
0: Well, that is, that is amazing to hear. And yeah, that's kind of, you know, that's what we're all about. We just want to encourage all of you and just be that place where you can come with all your burdens, all your worries. And we can just kind of encourage you, build you up. And yeah, I hopefully, hopefully give you that motivation, that passion for Christ, again, for reading his
3: word. I think um, another one I've got is it's kind of situations you put yourself in. So like if you do, because obviously a few people mentioned kind of people you mates with. And like kind of when you surround yourself with Christians, you kind of feel a lot closer to God. But also when you're not with them, like say you're with your kind of non-Christian friends, different activities you do may lead you to behave like in different ways. So if you're going to like parties and stuff like that, there may be more opportunities there to like behave in a certain way, which may not get you as close with God. But yeah, so it's stuff about like the
0: opportunities and allowing them to present
3: themselves, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And I think also actually kind of just building on from that, there's the idea that, I don't know, I guess while we, uh, it's great to, you know, spend time with each other in fellowship and spend time with Christian friends, but like we're also, we're called to, you know, share the gospel to everyone out of our comfort zones. And as Matt said, you know, there's certain situations when you might be with, you know, non-Christian friends. And I guess that's kind of an opportunity where you can actually make a stand and think, okay, you know what, I'm going to live for Christ in this moment. Especially like among young people as well. If you are different, if you're not afraid to kind of live against the culture, then it it makes people question, and it's those questions that are kind of like the foot in the door. Do you know, what I mean, if they're asking, then then that's a, a way that you can just open up simply and honestly about your faith.
2: Um, just to add though, Ben. Um, yeah, what Matt was saying, I feel kind of the opposite. When I'm in those times with um kind of non Christians, I kind of feel closer to the- god so for example yesterday i went to the pub with my mates as you do when you're 18 and i wear this um purity ring and they like asked me about it and like oh what's that and like they you like go and do oh what's your beliefs and stuff like that i feel those are great times as you said like we're, we're called to do so i think we're just called in those moments
0: yeah no 100 percent i don't know like i guess is is again it's like opportunity you know we're called to you know share the gospel but i think just being able to see those spaces see those moments as you were talking about ramon where you know we can we can talk about those things and yeah no Kirsty, that's a that's a great point there thank you very much for that how when you can't get that aspect of fellowship when you can't get that feeling of being able to talk to someone about it i guess you kind of close up in yourself and yeah because there is something so great about being able to talk about your faith passionately with other young people who are also the same natasha
1: yeah um this kind of ties in with what a few other people were saying but i find it a lot easier whenever you're with people who also have kind of the same beliefs like i've been to a lot of church camps or with youth groups and things and you know it's been a lot easier to talk about that kind of stuff with other people who believe the same thing
0: yeah no definitely thanks very much for sharing that and yeah i mean a lot of us you know we met the spring harvest and that's a really great place it properly fires you up yeah actually kind of following on from that again something that i uh, heard this morning in the service i watched i always found when i was growing up my years would kind of go like a roller coaster so you'd have highs and lows the high will be spring harvest every year if we look at my faith journey as like a graph i don't want to get too whatever but like if you've got a graph like it's, it's high high point here spring harvest every year it comes around peak and then slowly it drops off obviously some years you know it might stay at that height but then it drops off um but something that really kind of changed my perspective on all of that was if it can sometimes feel like it's an emotional roller coaster if you're like oh sometimes you feel close to god rather than basing how how close you feel to god off a feeling off like a tangible feeling which fluctuates and it changes depending on our mood instead base it off of god off of jesus off of his unchanging unending promises remain rooted in that rather than kind of putting the focus back on ourselves if that makes sense yeah and i think that's kind of a way that we you know that we can feel close to him even if we're not actually feeling it but we just have that kind of confidence and assurance like even when it can feel stressful and we can feel alone and confined that you know god's always there anything else okay right i just want to wrap up with just this bit with just one It's come through anonymously And uh, it's just kind of the idea that, you know, we can feel distance from God when there's conflict within families, you know, especially in legal matters, court cases. Yeah. And that can kind of feel stressful and confined. And I just wanted to thank whoever sent that in. And yeah, just to to really take confidence that, you know, in hard times and good times, God is always there. And actually just kind of speak a bit more into that. I just wanted to read some verses from Psalm 46 for you. God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. And yeah I think that just kind of really puts it into perspective that even though our worlds might be falling apart literally, physically or emotionally, that you know God is always there, He is always that kind of constant, that he is our refuge and that we should not fear because he has got us through everything. So now looking at the idea of faith, obviously, you know, we've spoken about times when we felt close to God, when we felt our faith has been strong and times when we felt distant. And we're going to look at an account of great faith in the New Testament today. And that's going to be taken from Luke 7 verses 1 to 10, looking at the faith of the centurion. And I just wondered if anyone would like to read that. So it's Luke 7, 1 to 10.
3: I will if you want. Oh, yeah, okay. no, i would be good. Oh, you go through. What do you say it was, Benjamin? Lee. Uh,
0: seven, one to ten.
3: Okay. After Jesus had finished teaching the people, he went to... How do I say that one? Capernaum. Capernaum. Okay, I wasn't close. In this town, an army officer's servant was sick and about to die. The officer liked his servant very much, and when he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish leaders to ask him to come and heal the servant. The leaders went to Jesus and begged him to do something. They said, this man deserves your help. He loves our nation and even built a a synagogue. So Jesus went with them. When Jesus wasn't far from the house, the officer sent some friends to tell him, Lord, don't go to any trouble for me. I'm not good enough for you to come into my house. And I'm certainly not worthy to come to you. Just say the word and my servant will get well. I have officers who give orders to me and I have soldiers who take orders from me. I can say to one of them, go, and he goes. I can say to another, come, and he comes. I can say to my servant do this and he will do it when jesus heard this he was so surprised that he turned and said to the crowd following him in all of israel i've never found anyone with this much faith the officer's friends returned
0: and found the servant well fantastic thank you very much matt um yeah so as i said this evening we're going to be looking at the faith of the centurion and faith is it's essential within christianity i mean you can read in matthew seventeen twenty. Uh, Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. And yeah, if you think of how small a mustard seed is, um, you know, you've got that song faith as small as a mustard seed. It's pretty small. So you can imagine, you know, with great faith, we can do amazing things, but not through our own power, obviously, but through Christ and through God. It's got me thinking, what do you think a great faith looks like? What would it tangibly look like in someone's life?
1: I think like even through difficult times, um, just believing in what's planned out for you. That makes sense.
0: Yeah, that definitely does. Any other thoughts? Thank you, Catherine.
2: Uh, I feel it's just like having no worries or like yeah, same what Cat said. Um, about the future, just you know, God's got it all covered out. Um, and just live really just live by faith.
0: Yeah. Definitely. No, I want to actually take your last point there, Ruin, about, um, you know, living by faith. You know, it says, yeah, like that confidence and total trust in God's power and, you know, living and putting God's word into practice. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts on that? Or... Okay, cool. Yeah. So it's just kind of just that total trust that, you know, God doesn't change, that, you know, he has been faithful in the past and he will always be faithful in the future. Something that always helps me when I'm going through tough times when I'm struggling is I look at times when God has been faithful in the past whether that be in my life or whether that be in someone else's life and we can actually take great encouragement in that because obviously you know we know that God doesn't change we know that he he has been faithful throughout all history throughout all time and that's not going to change no matter what situation we're in so I think just kind of yeah take confidence in that and just think that no matter what you're going through, God uh, is always there. and like use your past or use other people's past, whether that be from the Bible, whether that be your friends, your family, um, if there's been a time when God has helped someone or been with someone, uh, use that to give you confidence in the future that you know God is always there. So, now looking back to the passage, we have high expectations moving from chapter six into chapter seven. You know, Jesus has, he's been, he's named the 12 uh, disciples. He's gathered a huge crowd from his teaching. And we can see here in chapter seven that Luke amps it up another gear. He raises our expectations. So, jumping straight into the passage, in verse two, we can see the word servant who was highly valued by his master. And this language it kind of evokes the idea of affection and care which you wouldn't normally expect between a servant and a master and it's quite unusual and this can be taken uh, in a couple of ways so the first way you know it could just mean the master values his servant monetarily he is a valuable servant and you know that's that's why they think highly of the servant but this doesn't really fit with the centurion later as luke describes him another view is that you know, he's just genuinely compassionate, which would go completely against the kind of natural, I guess, natural order back then in first century AD, because masters could kill their servants uh, without suffering any trial, any retribution up until the early second century AD. And that was passed by Emperor Antonius Pius, who made it so that killing a servant without a just cause was homicide. It's quite unusual for the, for the master, the centurion, to kind of feel this way, I guess. But it can also be taken to see that, you know, the servant clearly works to the best of their ability, no matter what we find ourselves doing to work with the humility and the dedication that comes through Christ Jesus. So, Moving on to verses three to six, we can see that the centurion sent some elders of the Jews to Jesus. So, his servant is ill and he sent kind of messengers, but not just any ordinary messengers. He sent Jewish elders. And the centurion does this because he sees his own lack of worth. And yeah, he sends Jewish people to try and bridge that gap because obviously he's a Roman centurion, he's a Gentile. It's crossing, you know, all sorts of social boundaries. So I guess he's doing that in order to bridge that gap from his own end, I guess. And this is where we can see expectations of the Messiah. It's quite interesting because, especially the Jewish leaders, they would have thought there would have been a great warrior to overthrow the Romans. And there's this idea that, you know, the Jewish leaders are kind of aligned to that. They have this kind of sense of distrust towards the Romans, except the ones that are nice to them. And you can see this in verse 5 and they make a list of basically why jesus should love this man why jesus should help him and this list of why jesus should help is created by them and it just clearly shows the emphasis on works but before we get into that how from this passage can we see that the centurion is living out luke chapter 6 verse 35 but love your enemies do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back How is the centurion living this out in his own life?
1: Well, it's like the people were saying that the the centurion built synagogue. And then when Jesus comes to him, he's like, don't be troubled with me. I don't deserve it. He doesn't expect anything from what he's done, even from Jesus.
0: Yeah, exactly that. You have this idea that, you know, Romans... They were seen as the enemies of the jews the jews were kind of seen as the enemies of the romans there was this kind of conflict but still he goes out of the way. he builds a synagogue for them but then yeah as you can see later he doesn't expect anything back he doesn't expect the jewish leaders to you know build him a great house yeah he doesn't expect anything back from jesus he sees his own lack of value and lack of worth i guess compared to jesus and this list you know that they make the jewish leaders are saying to jesus that like, oh look he loves our nation and he's built us a synagogue you can see that they're clearly trying to get on jesus's good side and it just again it clearly highlights how first century judaism was a religion of works and that they were trying to gain their own salvation by doing things and it's a dangerous area to get into because ultimately we cannot earn our salvation we can see in ephesians 2 8 to 10 for by grace you have been saved through faith not by your own doing it is a gift of god it's not a result of works So, yeah, it's this idea that we cannot earn salvation. It's given to us freely. It's given to us out of God's grace. And it is from that, you know, the gospel is by grace, not graft. It's not our own hard work. And we just have to totally trust that, you know, God is a God who justifies the ungodly. Romans 4, verse 5. And that because of Jesus' death, we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1, 7. But I guess from that, you know, feeling of being saved, that amazing gift of grace, we want to do good works. We want to do good works out of the love that has been poured out to us. Yeah, so we can see here, obviously, what a centurion, he's a Gentile. But despite being a Gentile, he grasped the gospel better than most Jews did. Um, He got the fact that this gospel is not one of works, but it's one of grace. And that clearly comes into practice in verses six to eight. You know, the centurion has faith and he knows that Jesus doesn't need to be present to heal his servant. And Jesus goes to the centurion without the Jewish leader's persuasion. They, you know, their words haven't like changed or impacted that. So looking at verse six, we can see the centurion still doesn't want to go to speak to Jesus. He says, Lord, do not trouble yourself. I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. And this, uh, the Greek word that's used here, again, is curious And it's that absolute lord, that idea of holiness, of divinity, of totally unholy God. And that's the same word that was used by Peter back at the calling of the first disciples, where he's like, Lord, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. And, you know, that comes back here again in the faith of the centurion. And this idea that, you know, obviously, he doesn't deserve to have him come under his roof that can either step again they can stem from two places you have obviously the cultural idea of clean and unclean so obviously jews thought that gentiles were ceremonially unclean and you know to go into a gentile's house you would become unclean and it's clear to see that the centurion has respect for this you know that jesus was a leading rabbi so he's not going to kind of put that onto him by saying you know come into my gentile house Says that kind of, I guess, respect. But it's also a reflection on the centurion's personality, one of humility and total faith and total trust in God. Now, moving on to verse seven, that is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. So, again, looking at the Greek, we have the Greek word of axios, which means worthy. And that's used in contrast between verse four and verse seven. So we can see in verse four, you've got the Jewish leaders they're trying to justify this man they're trying to say oh look you should help him you should love him because of what he's done but the centurion is saying no look i know that i am not worthy and there's this contrast created um that you know the centurion knows that his own works his own good motivations and good deeds they're not enough to earn him a miracle That it only comes out of god's immense grace yeah that even though this elder said he was worthy that he shows humility and not pride and this can be seen through 1 peter 5 6 humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of god so that at the proper time he may exalt you and this again it, it links back into last week chapter 6 the idea of blessings and woes that idea of kind of an upside down kingdom how we are to serve others and not to kind of seek the riches and wealth and gratification that this world can give but because we know that we have god who promises eternal life and that from that you know we don't need to find our worth in our riches or in popularity because we are valued in christ and we have been bought by his blood going back to verse seven the second part the centurion says but say the word and my servant will be healed again it's just this utter confidence and total trust in Jesus. He has this innate sense of belief and trust in God's amazing power. And that's unique to this passage. It's, it's not been seen really before in Luke's gospel. If we look at the accounts of all the healings, you know, we've got the healing of Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, Jesus was there. He laid hands on her. We have Jesus forgives and healed a paralysed man. You know, well, uh, it doesn't say that he actually touched him. He was in the same room as him. He was in the immediate vicinity of him. You know, there's this idea that Jesus has always been there up to this point. But the centurion is saying, like, no, like he knows that no matter the distance, he has faith just by saying the word, his servant will be healed. He has total faith in the word of Jesus and he can see Jesus' true authority and yet you can see here that this strong faith actually goes hand in hand with his utter humility they're not two mutually exclusive things they are totally compatible and it's that faith and that humility that we are called to uh live out in our daily lives so now moving on to the next bit looking at verse 8 he gives us quite a lengthy description of You know, the workings of an army, it seems like. He's clearly a man with soldiers under him. He's a centurion. So he would have commanded a century of soldiers, uh, approximately 200 to 1,000, depending. So he would have known that the orders of one in authority are obeyed unquestionably. And in this passage, he's not bragging about his own power and authority. He's not being like, oh, look at me, Jesus. I have all these men under me. I can tell them to do this and they'll do this. That's not kind of the message that he wants to get across. He's using this as an explanation as to why he is confident in Jesus' own authority. And Luke includes this to show why we ourselves can be confident in the power and authority of Jesus. You know, we can clearly see here that the centurion believes that no matter what, the authoritative utterance of Christ will be obeyed regardless of geographical location. He, he just has this fantastic faith. And we can see that Jesus acknowledges this in verse 9. In verse 9, he was amazed at his faith. And the Greek word here is thaumazo. And this is only used to describe Jesus' state a few times. We can see in Mark 6, 6, this is talking about the story of Nazareth, when Jesus returned to Nazareth, but it's recounted by Mark. Um, And Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. So there's this idea that Jesus can be amazed at our belief or our unbelief. And we have to make sure that it is the former and not the latter. So verse 10, the final verse of this passage, then the men who have been sent returned to the house and they found the servant well. And, you know, Jesus, out of his grace, healed the servant. Um, He was healed from afar. And we can take confidence in that because even though Jesus is in heaven, he can still heal us today. And you can see here that there's only one verse really that actually talks about the actual healing of the servant, because Luke clearly places the focus on the faith of the centurion. And he's stressing the fact that we need to have this faith in our lives, this total trust in the authority and power of Jesus. Now, a faith can, I don't know, it can often be, I guess, dropped in the 21st century. You know, some people at school, you know, you might think, okay, I've got no space for this. I don't have, I don't have time. I don't have a need for it um but actually when we delve into it all the time every single day we are putting our faith or trust in the words of others so some examples i've got here is example one a bridge if you've got a bridge it often has a weight limit on it i know say if you've got a small road bridge across a canyon it might say there is a limit of five people so we are trusting several things here if we walk across this bridge We are trusting that the engineers who have constructed this bridge have built it correctly. We are trusting that they have evaluated it properly, that their mathematical calculations are correct, that five people is what it can hold. So we're trusting the written words of the engineers that they're like, okay, five people can cross this bridge. So, you know, we are we are putting our trust in that. Another example, a bus. We have faith in a timetable. We might stand at a bus stop, say at 10 o'clock in the morning, and we're like, okay, there's a 1005 bus listed. We are going to have faith that it'll be here in five minutes. We trust the words that are written on this timetable that it will deliver. We're trusting that it will be here on time. But even more than that, once we're on the bus, we're trusting that it will go to its destination. We're putting faith in the words of the people who you know wrote the bus routes that okay say if i get the i know the number 55 that would take me from bassett to swindon yeah so we have this kind of faith and trust this you know if we're putting our faith in everyday objects then how is it any different to put our faith in the living god if anything it's easier because we know that god never changes he has 66 books of his words which are you know divinely inspired and written for us to guide us he has shown his faithfulness he has shown that he upholds his end of the promise continually throughout the old testament um throughout the new testament that no matter what we do that he is always there loving us relentlessly and the thing that immediately springs to mind is israel in the old testament i it's judges where there's basically this same verse repeated over and over again where it says like still again or yet again israel turned against god or sinned against god there's this idea you know they were constantly messing up but still god was loving them he was still you know reaching out to them and we can see this in the new testament that it kind of all comes together in a wonderful culmination as god sends his only son to die for us while we were still sinners he took our sins he took the punishment that we were due, and ultimately to wrap this up God's immense grace exceeds our human expectations. And this can be seen again in the end of chapter seven. We're looking at the sinful woman and she clearly shows her faith in action. She loves Jesus so much because she has been forgiven that she spent eight months wages worth of perfume just to show her love for him. And if we calculate that in modern day, that's about twenty four thousand pounds just to show how much how thankful she was. That Jesus had forgiven her. You know, she was rebuked and shunned by the Pharisees around the table. Yet she was welcomed by Jesus. We can see here in verse 48, your sins are forgiven. And from this, we can take confidence that we can lay ourselves at Jesus's feet, knowing that we are not worthy. Like the centurion, we are not worthy, but we can humbly receive the great gift of his grace, the great gift of forgiveness and reconciliation and eternal life through Christ. I think one of my favorite verses in the Bible has to be Romans 8.38. There's this idea that God's love transcends all. I was going to read it to you briefly. Romans 8.38. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is clearly highlighted on the cross. Jesus died for us. And there is nothing that can ever diminish or take away that immense act of love. And that calls for a response from us. We have to have faith and to kind of take that step. Galatians 2.20, Paul tells us that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me so jesus died for you he died for me he died for everyone while we were still sinners and we're called to respond in humility like the centurion with immense faith that through us god can do things that we can never even begin to imagine and a quick way that i like to remember faith and what it stands for is through an acronym forsaking all i trust him so we have this idea you know we forsake everything accept Jesus we put our faith and our trust in Jesus and we trust him we do we act we live for Christ in all those challenging situations in times when we feel close to God in times when we feel distant from God in the times when we're spending time in fellowship with our Christian mates with times when we were our non-Christian friends we have a calling to respond to God's mission for us and forsake all and trust him
1: thank you that's all from me